What is truth? It's an important question, uh, but it's certainly not a new one. It's, uh, well, over 2,000 years ago, uh, the Roman populator Pontius Pilate asked it of Jesus on Good Friday. But can it be answered with any certainty? And if it can, how do we know what's true? That's where we're going with this this evening. So uh, we're in the book of 1 Timothy. We know that this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his young protege, Timothy. Timothy was probably overseeing a church in or around Ephesus, uh, which is in modern-day Turkey. And the letter had three purposes, really. Uh, The first is to warn Timothy about false teachers. Uh, The second thing is to give Timothy uh, some guidelines about ordering the church. And finally, Paul wants to encourage and strengthen Timothy in his ministry. And this section that we're in today is very much Paul uh, warning Timothy about false teachers. In fact, uh, Paul is encouraging Timothy to stand up against uh, this false teaching. Uh, And this might have been a difficult one for Timothy. We know that Timothy was young, probably inexperienced. Uh, He uh, may well have been quite timid, uh, a, a, a demure character. And we also know that he suffered from frequent bouts of illness. So it doesn't really sound like the kind of person who would enjoy confrontation. And yet, Paul is telling him that he needs to point out the error of these false teachers. Now most of us don't enjoy confrontation, but we are called to point people to the truth. The false teachers at Timothy's church uh, were telling people that they couldn't get married, uh, that they couldn't eat all sorts of foods. And following Jesus is hard enough as it is without burdening people with a whole load of unnecessary rules and regulations. Uh, but it's important to note that this is not false teaching from outside the church, this is false teaching from within the church, and that is potentially far more dangerous. Uh, Paul goes as far as to say it's the work of deceiving spirits intent on throwing the church off course. Uh, but this isn't a first century problem, a problem for the early church as they're finding their, their feet. Uh, there's plenty of false teaching in the church today, hopefully not here. Uh, but uh, I recently read uh, an article about a church of minister Scotland, uh, or rather a church of Scotland minister, uh, who told his congregation, and I quote, he said, it's ghastly theology to believe that Jesus Christ died for sinners. Now that's not a variation of Christianity. That's a complete departure. In fact, it's worse than the false teaching that we hear about in uh, 1 Timothy because it strikes at the very heart of the Christian message. It's about as outrageous as it gets. Uh, So we see that the church has had to contend with false teaching right all the way from the first century to the present day. It's an old problem that hasn't gone away. And we live in a culture that struggles to confront falsehood. Uh, and that is in part to do with the fact that our cultural uh, culture is very pluralistic. We live in a, uh, a pluralistic society. Now, in one sense, pluralism is a good thing. Pluralism is a good thing when it means engaging with diversity. It's a good thing when it means uh, seeking to understand people who are very different from ourselves. And it's a good thing when it means that we're willing to engage in dialogue, when we're willing to have those conversations. But at the popular level, pluralism means something very different. 
Many take it to mean that every opinion or belief or point of view carries exactly the same weight, uh, to the extent that no one can actually be wrong about anything. Uh, you know, if something is true for you, then it's true. Who am I to tell you otherwise? But actually that is completely illogical. I mean, just because I believe that the spaghetti monster is true, doesn't mean that it actually exists. Just for the tape, I don't believe the spaghetti monster is true. <laughs> um, but we have this aversion of uh, telling anyone that we think they're wrong. And even as I say that, some of you cringe a bit. You say, no, you, you can't tell someone that they're wrong. Isn't that, isn't that a bit arrogant? Well, yes, it can be. But it depends how we engage. It depends how we communicate, how we put our uh, point across, how we express ourselves. You know, it's possible to completely disagree with someone and still love them. Paul calls these false teachers hypocritical liars uh, whose consciences have been seared. He says they're following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. All that might be true of someone, but we're still called to love them. In 2 Timothy 2.25, Paul tells Timothy to gently instruct those who oppose him in the hope that they'll repent and come back to a right way of thinking. Paul wants these false teachers to come back to Jesus. And if we encounter false teachers, we should want that for them as well, that they uh, would come back to Jesus. We're to love people, no matter what their views. But we can love someone without validating, confirming or endorsing their point of view. In other words, we can disagree with people. We can tell people that we think they're wrong. Uh, but there's a way of doing that. And the motivation should always be love, not to prove that we're right and they're wrong. But just to demonstrate, just to demonstrate that culturally we struggle to tell anybody uh, that they're wrong, we struggle to disagree with people about certain subjects. Let's take a look at this clip, I think you'll find it quite interesting. You go to 55, as well, 55 seconds. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to find my mouse cursor. Click on the red, the red dot and it'll drag it to 55. Almost there.
So if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed your scale to this point, and you can do that now. If that's where you feel like mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that might accept you for that. I would say as long as you're not in a society and you're not causing harm to other people and feeling like touch, you should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That's a good question. Why? Because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're If you truly believe you're six five, I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. So you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place. I just like dedicating it to say someone is wrong or to draw lines and boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't feel like, oh, you're wrong at the point of leaving. So, I mean, again, yeah, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about or hide or anything. So, I can be a Chinese woman. But I can't be a six foot five, Yes. If you thoroughly debate me or explain why you felt you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you were six foot five or Chinese or a It shouldn't be hard to tell a five million white guy that he's not a six foot five Chinese woman. But clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? What does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are? Well, I'll cheat a little bit with that because it's all about identity, but it's interesting, isn't it, that no one was prepared to disagree with that interviewer, even though he was blatantly saying things that clearly weren't true. Uh, we live in a culture where people are very reluctant to disagree with others about certain topics. And uh, our uh, religious beliefs, our worldview, uh, definitely falls into that category. And the flip side of that is that we're very uh, suspicious of anybody who makes an absolute truth claim. But the Bible, the New Testament authors, and Jesus himself had no qualms about making absolute truth claims. Uh, indeed, Jesus said he is the truth. And in chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says, If I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So the church is not just the foundation of the truth upon which we build our own variations. It's the pillar as well. The church is the repository of the truth. God has given the church everything that he wants us to know about him. Yes, uh, we're still making advances in science. We've got plenty to learn about God's creation. But God has got, given the church everything that we need to know to have a right relationship with him. Uh, we need to be clear. The church does make absolute truth claims. Now, the obvious question for someone who's not a Christian or even for someone who is, is how do you know? With so many religions, so many competing claims, how does the church know that it's got the truth? Well, that's a big uh, question. I'm not going to try and unpack it completely in the next five minutes. But what I will say is that we take it on authority. 
And some people will sniff at that, but uh, we take almost everything that we know on authority. So, um, for example, put your hand up if you know, and I'm not going to test you on this, but if you know anything at all about Brazil. Put your hand up if you know anything about Brazil. You think I'm going to ask you a question? I'm not going to ask you a question. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows that Brazil is in South America? Who knows that? We, we all know something about... Who knows that Brazilians live in Brazil? We all, know, we all know something about Brazil, don't we? Now put your hand up if you've ever been to Brazil. No. Well, that means that everything you know about Brazil, you've taken on the authority of an author, a publisher, a mapmaker, a journalist, uh, a media outlet, someone who's actually been there, or some other uh, source, some other authority. In fact, almost everything that we know, uh, we don't know it because we've experienced it ourselves, we don't know it uh, through our own personal experience. The majority of what we know, we know because we've taken it on the authority of somebody else. So what authority do we believe the Bible? Well, the answer can be found in verse 16. Paul uh, quotes a brief summary of gospel truths, and actually this may have been used to prepare people for baptism in the early church. It says, He appeared in the body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Of course, it's talking about Jesus, the man who is in fact God, the God-man. The whole Bible points to Jesus, and Jesus seemed to believe that the Bible is true. And it was Jesus who gave authority to the Apostle Paul, and to the other authors of the New Testament. Well, some might say, well, why, can't, why should we take Jesus' word for it? Well, as we've just heard, because he appeared in the body, in the flesh, as a human being. He lived a perfect life. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. After three days, he rose to new life. And after he was seen by hundreds of people, he was taken up in glory. And there's really good evidence for the resurrection. Again, we'll look at that at a later time. Uh, no time to go into that now, but there's good evidence for the resurrection. Uh, but it's a pretty good resume, isn't it? It's a good resume for the kind of person that we ought to listen to. I mean, I don't know about you, but it sounds to me like the kind of person who has the authority to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. The Bible is reliable, and we have it on the authority of Jesus Christ, the most remarkable character in all of human history. Let's get back to Timothy. He's got to deal with these false teachers, those who are opposing the truth, even from within the church. As Paul says, if you point these things out to the brothers, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus. If Timothy is to be a good minister, he can't let this false teaching slide. He's got to address it. He's got to confront it. He's got to address those who espouse it. Uh, now, as we see, Paul doesn't pull his punches with these false teachers. He's, he uses pretty strong language to describe them. Deceiving, they're, they're following deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. They're hypocritical liars without conscience. It's strong stuff. So how should we deal with false teaching in the church? Well, in a case like that Church of Scotland minister, I think we need to be firm. Uh, you know, someone who's in a position of authority who attempts to tear down a central pillar 
of the Christian faith. I mean, someone who expresses those kind of views, they're entitled to their views, but they shouldn't be preaching or teaching in a Christian church. So defending the truth can mean that we have to be firm, but it doesn't mean that we have to be harsh or unloving, and this is an important distinction. But most of the false teaching that we come across, most of the falsehood that we come across, is not likely to be that kind of a thing. It's more likely to be someone in our home group who's got the wrong end of the stick, uh, a Christian brother or sister who's misinformed or misunderstood something, or seen something online and taken it on board. It's much more likely to be that kind of a thing. Well, again, in a situation like that, we don't jump all over them and make them feel small. In some Christian circles, you can hardly say anything without somebody finding fault in it. It's almost as if people are, are waiting for you to make a mistake, waiting for you to slip up so they can come in and correct you. Uh, we don't want to give way to that kind of nitpicking culture. It's tedious and it's demoralizing. But equally, we don't say, well, if that's what you believe, that's good for you. What a wonderful perspective. We listen, we engage, we seek to understand and we gently and sensitively correct and steer people in the right direction. We can do that actually by asking questions to get people to think through the position that they're taking. But we are allowed uh, to disagree with people because truth is important. That is why Paul was at, at such pains to uh, maintain the integrity of the message, the, the Christian message of gospel. It's okay to tell someone that they're wrong, but we need to do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, we need to do it in love. But the only way that we can know if someone's got the wrong end of the stick is if we know and understand the Bible for ourselves. I mean, how do you even know that what I'm saying is true? The only way is to, is to know our Bibles, to bring your Bibles to church. Highlight key verses, read them, study them, use a commentary, discuss them in your home groups. We need, as a church, to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. At my last church, there was a, a man in his 60s, his name was John, he was a new Christian, and I knew he was reading his Bible because every time I saw him, he had a whole new, load of new questions. And I loved it. It showed, it showed me that he was really engaged. At one point, he was using uh, a verse from Genesis to justify his smoking of cannabis. I had to <laughs> gently correct him, try and move him in the right direction. And you know what? He was okay with that. And actually, he did eventually stop smoking cannabis. But it's my prayer that as a church, and I include myself in this, we develop a more intimate knowledge of the Bible. And in so doing, a more intimate knowledge of an intimate knowledge and relationship with God who speaks through the Bible. Truth is important. If Timothy and Paul hadn't defended the truth, who knows what kind of a gospel we would have today. Certainly it wouldn't be good news. But the gospel is good news. And it's good news because it's true. It's only good news because it's true. So let's be encouraged to take truth seriously to hold on to the truth and to allow God to give us his truth. We'll be open to God's truth from Scripture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's very easy in our culture to, to not want to say anything to anybody 
that might contradict their worldview, their beliefs, their point of view. But we recognise that we are called to point people to the truth. And we pray, Father, that you'll give us the courage to do that. But equally, at the other end of the scale, there's this idea that we just want to argue with people and prove that we're right and uh, you know, win the argument. And it's not about that either. I pray, Father, we pray uh, that we will love you and that we will love people and that we will treat people gently and respectfully and we'll be willing to engage in dialogue, we'll be uh, willing to listen and that we can defend the truth but in a way that really connects with people. That we can defend the truth in a way that make people feel that they want to uh, find out more about you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.